Welcome to Microdose Psychedelic Insights, powered by The Conscious Fund. This is the Sci-Fi series, discovering the cutting-edge science and research in psychedelic medicine. There we go. There can you see me? Go. Yep, I can see you. I can hear you. We're perfect. Okay, perfect. Let's let's. Um, you're going to see my ear again because I like walking around when I'm talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. all good. So where were we? Uh, yeah, do you remember where we left off? Yeah, we we, we were talking about sort of sovereignty. Yeah, uh, I, I believe your own I mind and the powers that be sovereignty. that don't really want that to happen, right? Well, potentially. I mean, I'm not entirely sure if they don't want it to happen, but that's the way it's occurred. I, I would imagine, you know, at the end of the day, you know, when it comes down to it, big business is about um, offering as much profit as they possibly can to a select few shareholders. And, sure. and that's why people are put into a position of responsibility and power to run businesses. Uh, I hope that changes. And I hope that somewhere along the line that, uh, more holistic, more empathetic, caring, loving uh, narrative will 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 you know come out of, of this. I mean, you know, it's very very interesting, Guarov. You know, and I, I spoke to you about this a few weeks ago. You know, the addiction industry is is really one of the oddest industries in the world. You know. People who are going to um, recovery centers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, that industry, that industry is, is growing at such a rate, but it's growing based on failure. Mm -hmm. People are not getting recovery in rehabs. The, the success rate is appalling. Yeah. It's very, very, very minimal. Um, and if we look at what rehabs, you know, most rehabs work off the 12-step scenario. Um, they work out with the fellowships, which is a, which is a very shame-inducing narrative. You go there, you're told you're an addict, yeah, you're going to be an addict for the rest of your life. Uh, then, you just, then you're told you're diseased. I mean, what a horrible word to, mm -hmm. to label anybody with it. Yeah, yeah, I and then you're told that you're actually a burden on your friends, family, and society. And uh, for that reason, you're not to be trusted. And you're not to be trusted to such an extent that, you know, we're going to give you a sponsor and your sponsor is going to help you do your thinking. And your thinking is going to be based around our gospels. And these are the 12 traditions and 12 steps. And you've got to attach to them because if you do not attach to them, you will end up in jail, institution, or dead. Um, and, and, you know, if you're a good boy or a good girl, we'll reward you with colored key rings. Um, and you have to be really, really, really grateful for what we're giving you. And you've got to turn up basically <laughs> for the rest of your life. But these are really, really subjugating, accusatory, negative, finger-pointing narratives. And if we really look at the narratives which bring people into addiction in the first place, they're very, very, very similar to these, just wrapped up in a different type of bullshit. But, you know, addiction yeah. itself is certainly people are self-medicating against feeling inauthentic. And we have to wonder why people are feeling inauthentic. 
Well, it's because their family and their culture and their society say to them constantly through education, through through you know bullying through whatever that people are not good enough yeah we don't like you the way you are we want you to be this does that make sense to you when i say that yeah it absolutely makes sense to me i think there's a couple of things that you bring up obviously the the discussion about uh, alcoholics anonymous and and 12-step programs that we've uh, you've discussed and debated a little, quite a bit, um, but more, more so, I think that's interesting to me is you bring up the idea of how a lot of these mental constructs and concepts uh, that may be reinforced by these programs are actually what bring people into the program to begin with, you know, and it's about finding Absolutely. identity. By finding identity Absolutely. and refinding yourself, and I, I do think that maybe in some ways that message is lost um, with the twelve-step program and the benefits of something like iboga is that it really helps you kind of wipe the slate clean. In my experience, it was very similar to a, a rebirth, and, and and being born maybe when you're an infant, you know, you don't have too much of a recollection of it, but when it happens again in, in, in your older life, it's kind of a disorienting, jarring process. The days, a couple of days after Ibogaine can be confusing and scary because now your pathways are interrupted and you're not immediately reaching for the same thing, coping mechanism you were before, but it's not like you have developed new ones yet. You know, um, only so much has happened during during that time. And so now in this really neuroplastic period of uh, how your brain is functioning, it's really important to instill new behaviors and aftercare is is really important. Uh, and so this I new think- model of par- this new this new paradigm of recovery, which incorporates the medicine and the aftercare and the way that you work, which I'd love to get into, where you talk to your patients before they even take the iboga, follow up with them during and after, uh, presents yeah. a really novel new model. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the biggest problem with the existing models which are occurring now, my biggest fear about this new psychedelic renaissance going on is that you know the money people will go well you know what is our existing model what is our existing protocol for helping people get out of addiction well let's attach that to psychedelics Mm -hmm. it simply won't work right it doesn't work now and it certainly won't work with psychedelics because you know the fact is that psychedelics bring down your defense mechanisms. They allow you to have an opportunity to have a relationship with your authentic self, to tear down the conditioned narratives that have been fostered upon you by culture, by society, by family. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the reason that people are in addiction is because they don't know who they are. They feel inauthentic. And if you feel inauthentic and you feel fearful, the first thing you're going to do is turn to a ritual to make yourself feel safe. Of course. And that is what addiction is. It's a ritual to make yourself feel safe. It's really interesting, Gwara, because, you know, there seems to be this sort of narrative that, it, you know, people in addiction are out of control. No, they're not out of control. It's completely the opposite. Yeah. The addiction is the thing that they put into their life to feel some control because, if you're racking out a line of coke or you're cooking up some heroin, in that moment, you are... 
was just on a roll there. Oh, I know, man. It was a really good point that it cut out. <laughs> um, so, yeah, should we just try and find our way back to yeah, that somehow? Absolutely. So I think what I was talking about earlier on was this idea that um, – through childhood conditioning, which is a, which is a cultural, societal, and familial conditioning brought on mm -hmm. by our education and our expectations, or the expectations of who we should be, um, you know, many a child finds that they have to reject a part of their psyche to become an actor, to be able to fit into the environment they're in. Does right. that make sense? Mm -hmm. And yeah. Um, and so if you are rejecting a part of yourself as a child, that actualizing tendency, the real authentic you, you because you're being told the whole time you're not good enough, you need to pull your socks up. Why don't you do this? Why don't you dress like that? I think that you should. I think that you should is the classic, classic line that we hear in childhood. Uh, and, you know, it's really an aggressive piece of conditioning because what it really mm. says to the six or seven or eight-year-old child, I think you should, means I don't like you the way you are. I want right. you to behave in the way that I want you to. And so a child will always, always feel compelled to try and make that work for him compelled right. to do what the parent or the teacher wants because they want to be fitting in they want to feel safe right so to fit into that they have to reject a part of their authentic self become an actor become what other people want them to become and so a lot of us grow up with this huge emptiness in our chest because we really don't know who we are because we've rejected our authentic self on the way. Yeah, I think and you were talking what addictions about. You were talking uh, before we got disconnected about control and how in that yeah. moment when someone's racking up a oh, yeah. of cocaine or cooking up some heroin, in that moment the person at least feels that they are in complete control, you know, and that's a really comforting so, it's a very comforting so, thing for, for them, right? Absolutely, irrespective of what the outcome is. Right. In that moment when you're cooking up or racking out a line, your worries around your family, the world, your job, your place in it, whatever, falls away. You're in the moment. You're actually being incredibly mindful for yeah. one moment. <laughs> it's so true, right? Yeah. You're so you're so present. It's like you don't even need to meditate just in that moment. Yeah, there, yeah. Huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and why wouldn't you? You know, for me, I, I I think that and I think this is a really important thing to say. You know, if you're an 18 or 19 year old or 25 year old and, you know, I, I ask my clients often, you know, what, what did that heroin give you or what did that cocaine give you when you first started using? And, and almost all of them just say, well, you know, it gave me a sense of peace, a sense of belonging, a sense of confidence. It took me to a better place. Right. Now, if something like that takes you to a better place, um, hang on one second. Sure. One second. Sure, sure. Okay. So, okay. We, we're talking about this idea of putting control into your life. Yeah, is that where mm -hmm. I was? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
And I've had a complete memory blank now. That's okay. No, Um, I I agree. It's like, you know, we talk about being, you know, it's had a really interesting conversation uh, with Joey over at Inkscape and and Molly Nalco, who you know. And you talked about what is the opposite of addiction, you know? Like, what is the word? It's not really a word, you know, but I guess it would be presence or being present, you know, Uh, because addiction, you're always running. Right? You're always running. You're always running away from uh, your life, your emotions, and your reality. Um, you are so uncomfortable with the present moment. But then what an interesting paradox, because when you have the drugs, and you're yep. right, uh, not not considering the outcome of after you push off or snort that line or no, whatever. You don't, give a damn, you don't give a damn about the outcome. Right, you don't care about that. Uh, but in that moment, in preceding it, you're very present, you know, because that's the only thing yeah. that that really makes you okay with being present until you use the drug and then truly you're not present anymore you know uh, because you're pretty disconnected but, from yeah this is what i was saying but to begin with addiction is about making yourself present there's no mm-hmm. two ways about it it makes you feel confident it makes you feel like you can talk right. to the girls at the bar or hold your own with the boys. It makes you feel com- confident. It makes you feel like you can finish your, your, your university work. It takes you to a place where you are not you for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that tells me something written that, you know, if drugs, when you first use them, make you feel good, what the hell was going on before? Mm. And, you know... I often say to my clients, you know, well, what happens if you hadn't picked up coke at 18 or heroin at 25? And to a man and to a woman, most of them are say, well, you know, the outcome's terrifying. I don't even want to think what that outcome would have been because my life was so appalling. So right. that says to me, says to me that actually picking up drugs to begin with is a perfectly acceptable and intelligent, adaptive response to the pain that you were in. And if you didn't, what would have happened to you? Right, yeah, we talked about this, you know, and for a lot of people that probably would have meant not continuing their existence, you know? So like as unfortunate as their addiction was, uh, the silver lining to all of this is that there's, there's a way out there's wisdom to be gained from trying yeah. that coping mechanism. And eventually a I, lot of I, people I, do learn more about themselves in the end. Yeah. I think, you know, to begin with addiction, you know, it opens the door to a place where you feel safe and comfortable. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is if you continue to use your alcohol or your Coke or your heroin, I mean, it's slightly different with opiates because there's that physical addiction. Right. But, you know, if you continue to open this door to a place where you don't feel yourself and you feel more comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if you start to do it too much after a month or two months or a couple of years or a decade or whatever your time scale will be, that door to another reality will quickly become a revolving door. Mm-hmm. And then you find Absolutely. yourself in a very, very, very painful place. And I think young Pueblo to paraphrase him is, you know, he described, he, he says, I don't believe that, you know, someone is addicted to coke or crack or heroin. What they're addicted to is to filling the void they feel in their chest 
with anything other than self-love. Now, what's interesting to me is where did that void come from? And earlier right. we talked about the rejected child. Now, if you reject a part of yourself, there's going to be an emptiness. So, you know, this is where the Ibogaine, this is where the psychedelics come in because they help you connect to that rejected part of you. And if you can bring that rejected child, that rejected part of you up to the table and introduce them to the other aspects of your personality, then you will start to feel complete. Then you will start to feel like you know yourself. Then you will start to feel authentic. And if anybody ever said to me, what is addiction? Name it in one sentence. I would say it's self-medicating against feeling inauthentic. Yeah. So maybe the journey into addiction and out of addiction is the opportunity to find your own authentic narrative and get to understand who you are. And if we look at, you know, the ancient Greeks and we talk about Socrates and Socrates, you know, what's the most important thing a man can do? Well, it's to know himself, mm-hmm. know thyself. Well, maybe this process, this journey is an opportunity to really get to know yourself and to break down those conditioned narratives that are fostered upon us at a cultural, societal, familial and religious level since the moment we breathe. Right. That's That's the thing that holds us into bondage. That's really cool. I like like that because, you know, in one way just through my own journey, uh, throughout all of this, I've kind of looked at it as an opportunity as well, you know. Uh, of course, Absolutely. Of course, there's times that are, are very challenging, and for many people, they don't get to see the other side of that opportunity, especially today. Uh, drugs are, especially drugs, are becoming uh, a lot more dangerous. It's, it's not like alcohol, where you kind of have more of a margin of error. Um, but that said, um to the people who are seeking recovery and seeking to to better themselves, you know, and to find themselves, like you're like you're talking about, uh, I think it's really fascinating because addiction does the process of addiction and recovery. That journey offers you such powerful insight that a lot of people find themselves uh, not just going back to baseline and going back to who they were before they picked up drugs because no one wants to go back there, right? Like we picked up drugs no, uh, no, no. In, in that place to begin with. But the cool thing is that a lot of people are finding a, a much richer and a much more fulfilling life, you know? See, what, what's very interesting about what you said there, Guarov, is, is if you want to find out who the hell you are, the most important thing is to find out who the hell you're not. Mm-hmm. And so it's absolutely essential to work out how you have been conditioned by either friends or family or society or education. And if you can have an understanding of that, then you kind of know why you're lost. And if you know why you're lost. Uh, so do you remember what point you were wrapping up uh, before we got disconnected? No, no, I've got no idea now. I'm, I'm completely, um, I'm completely instinctive in the way I talk, and there's yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. 
that comes talk, out. Let's so. talk about, so what do you, you know, one of the things that we connected about, especially when I was in Mexico with the microdose team working on this documentary, uh, was global mm -hmm. drug policy, you know, and I think you are in a very unique position to talk about that. Uh, obviously, when it comes to the war on drugs and the intersection of psychedelic medicine and mental health, addiction is a really huge component of that, you know. Um, so what do you hope to see, you know, in the years that, that come as far as legislation what do you want to see from policymakers, and how can we shift public perception and um and just the public viewpoint around these substances to integrate them back into you know our, our, our modality of healing and treatment well i think i think you know there's there's quite a lot of good work going on at the moment and you know you've got a lot of high high class sort of uh, researchers and academics and, and universities who are, are now getting interested in a what i would call you know a new psychedelic renaissance occurring at the moment and the more that these people get involved and to a certain extent i think the more that you know business gets involved mm. the, the more barriers are being broken down um but you know we we have to be really really careful about who handles the future of, of, of psychedelic medicines because it, it can be done very, very, very wrong. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there is a, I mean, I, you asked me that question earlier and you're wondering what about the perception of the general public around things like Ibogaine and Ayahuasca and how they label them as drugs or, right. or I mean, yeah, oddly enough, I did a lecture last night, and that was one of the the questions that came up. And I, I mean, un unfortunately, you know, plant medicines are, are considered to be drugs. And you know, we spoke earlier about the fact that you know a lot of people say, "Well, how can you use drugs to get off drugs?" Um, when there's no sort of real language behind Subutex or Methadone or Lyrica or right. Antidepressants or any of those sort of right. things. Um, I do think there's, a, there's been a cultural shift being going on. Um, I think people are really, really beginning to wake up to the potential uh, around psychedelics. And, of course, there's always, always going to be a lot of pushback as well against them because there's a lot of fear attached and you know mm -hmm. kind of ironic at the end of the day but the one thing which kind of breaks down the fear of psychedelic <laughs> is psychedelics you know yeah, if I, right yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's interesting you know, i like that you know i i kind of you know, it does worry me. I, I, there, there's a lot of people who are getting involved in the psychedelic field at the moment who actually do not know uh, what it is to take psychedelics and, and how they can help you. And it does. It really, really worries me when I see, you know, courses for psychotherapists or doctors, et cetera, et cetera, about learning to integrate the plant medicine experience. But there's no prerequisite that they've actually tried and experienced these substances for themselves it, yeah, it just seems crazy how, how the hell can you get involved in that industry if you don't understand it i see an interesting parallel to you know rehabs and and addiction counselors that were never addicts themselves and not to say i yeah. haven't met a few 
that are just really, really good at what they do and claim at least not to have a history themselves. But obviously the ones I have met that have recovered themselves have really profound deep insight to share plus automatically just like when you walk into an AA meeting kind of how they talk about in the big book you know about how it's like you you have this connection with everybody that's gone through it because it's like you're all survivors of a shipwreck you might not have known each other on the ship but for sure now you you all have something in common that you hold together you know and I think the psychedelic experience is uh, very similar I thought pretty much the same as that, you know, especially when you're trying to share it and pass it on to, to someone else in a therapeutic setting. I think that wisdom and that knowledge and that experience is invaluable. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, what psychedelics do so well is break down these defense mechanisms that we put up. And I, you know, I do kind of agree that, you, you know, a, a well-prepared and, and well-cared-for psychedelic experience can be the equivalent of 10 or 15 years of psychotherapy in one night. Mm-hmm. You know, these epiphanies can be made. And, you know, also these epiphanies are very, very, very personal to the individual. Right. right? So the good therapist is there to to hold the individual and to encourage and to help them integrate it's not about us telling the client what to do. It's about us helping the client realize who they can be right. on their terms and with their narrative. And I, you know, I I do quite a lot of training of, of people uh, to do this work. And you know, the, the one people who really, really, really frighten me when they come in and ask for training are actually psychotherapists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why, why because you know, well, because their training itself, there are the, the parameters and the boundaries and the ethics are so very, very distinct and very mm. particular. But actually, to become a psychotherapist and and to work within that field, you have to work within very, very, very defined boundaries. Right. And if you're working with psychedelics, you're running over those boundaries in massive, massive ways. The whole time. right, absolutely. Um, you, you know, so th- there is this idea, and it does frighten me in re- in respect that, you know, certainly if I fell into addiction now, I certainly wouldn't be turning to a doctor right. to give me my psychedelic experience. I wouldn't right. be t- turning to uh, a reg- registered psychotherapist within the BAPC or the UKPC, which are the British governing bodies. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be turning... To, to them unless they've been through addiction themselves and they've got out of addiction because they've had psychedelics right it's like a train driver teaching someone to be an astronaut yeah <laughs> yeah i want to be taught i want to be taught by the right people yeah i yeah. want to be guided by the right people i want to be guided because this is my life at the end of the day yeah mm-hmm and, and, you know, we see this the whole time with, within, you know, I said this before, Guarov, it really, really, really terrifies me, this idea. And I'm sure this is probably the route that psychedelia will go down unless we can get some really, really good leaders. Yep. But if it's all about the money men running the show, 
they're going to be looking at the existing modalities and trying to connect that to psychedelia, a uh, psychedelic work. Um, an interesting modality for, you know, getting out of addiction and getting into recovery is the 12 steps. Right. 12 steps cannot work with psychedelics. Yeah, I see that dissonance a lot. Um, you know, because again, you know, the thing is about the psychedelic journey is about finding out who you are on your terms. It's not about bashing a square peg into a round hole. Mm hmm and that is exactly what the rooms are. That's mm -hmm. what NA and AA is. You know, again, we, we talked about this before is, is, well, we want you to behave and think in a very, very, very specific way. And we're going to mold you to do that. Yeah. 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 And I think freedom of expression is a really important part of recovery and part of this rediscovering our identities that you brought up as a fundamental yeah. crux of recovery to begin with, you know? You know, look, you know, the, the, the fundamental aspect is, you know, more often than not, you know, people are, people are saying to you, why are you in addiction? Why are you a fuck up? You know, you're, mm -hmm. you're not, not why are you in addiction? They're saying you, you are an addiction. You are a fuck up. Mm -hmm. And we, we want you to be a good and valued member of society. And this is, we're taking you to a place where we can break it down and build you up and turn you into something that we think is acceptable. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and really, at the end of the day, this is the same trauma. And, you know, I said this before, it was the same trauma that brought people into addiction in the first place. Um, so if we can do the right therapeutic work where we can look at the cultural and educational conditions that brought you into a place of profound personal pain where you felt inauthentic and you didn't feel that you knew yourself because that is what addiction is about this is what we self-medicate against we self-medicate against feeling inauthentic so if we can look at the basis of why you're in pain and understand that and understand that your movement into addiction perhaps was a perfectly acceptable and reasonable process to get yourself out of pain. And if you can start doing that, then you can start forgiving yourself. And if you can start forgiving yourself, you can start accepting yourself. And if you can start accepting yourself, you can start loving yourself. And if you can start loving yourself, you don't need to put drugs down your throat. Wow, that was a really beautiful sentiment that you captured you know i think it hit all the big points about self-realization compassion love like all of these things are are not mutually exclusive but fully uh a part of the psychedelic experience you know and a part of the healing that that comes with it and i think maybe it is th those are the big ticket items that might be lost uh, uh, in the current traditional more traditional treatment approaches and rehabs and, and things like that you know and, and this is this is my fear for you know big business getting into to into psychedelic work because i don't mm -hmm. think this work you know it, it is about working with the client rather than the client working with your protocol right it, it, it's really really important to understand and you know i think we're also it's about 
actually perhaps disconnecting yourself from the matrix which is making you ill mm-hmm. <laughs> um and you know that is a big matrix you know um the world we live in is an incredibly complicated and incredibly divisive and difficult place to 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 hold your own in right and you know i think when we look at addiction you know i think addiction is everywhere people are addicted to power people are addicted to to fame people are addicted to notoriety you know everyone wants better shoes everyone wants better cars everyone wants bigger houses everybody feels incomplete if they don't have a flat stomach but they should be eating this food and they should be eating that food and etc etc and these are essentially all marketed upon us mm-hmm you know, and they make people feel really, really incomplete. And so people will become addicted to many, many different ways of feeling okay in the moment, whether it's shoe right. shop, whether it's buying a new Maserati, whether it's about, you know, screwing somebody over at work, whether it's about working 60 to 70 hours a week to bring the money in. You know, these are all incredibly destructive, addictive behaviors that show us that on a cultural level, we are so disconnected from selves and who we should be. And we're so disconnected from community. So for me, I think part of the psychedelic experience is you you have your experience, you kind of look at your conditioned narratives, and you return to a more natural state of being. And for Guarov, you will understand this better than anybody. Um, Ibogaine is a fantastic medicine. It's a wonderful, beautiful medicine. But the greatest nurse and the greatest doctor is nature in conjunction with play. Mm. And if we can get people to start to learn to play again, because they lost the ability to play in childhood because of the traumas attached to them. You know, we find that the whole time. And if we can get people to connect to nature, then they will start finding themselves again. And this is what the integrative, holistic treatment protocol should be about. It should be allowed people to understand why they are in addiction in the first place. And the reason people are in addiction in the first place is they're trying to be somebody that is not themselves. Right. Yep. Yeah. If they yeah. have that understanding, we put them out into nature and we put them to play, then they can start to connect to that rejected child and they can start to find out who they are because that rejected child has a whole theme of intelligence and joy and connectivity and wisdom that we've been denying ourselves for a very, very, very long time because we've been trying to fit in with the conditioned narratives around us. Um, so I see the future of recovery as about, it's about people connecting with, and you know, some great work by, uh, professor David Luke, who's a, an eco psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a lot of work being done around this about mental health, but you know, for people to be connecting to nature, to be connecting to animals, be connecting to the blue sky, to be connecting to green fields or the, or the sand or the surf, you know, that's a good way to start getting better. You know, I have a lot of rehabs phoning me up saying, well, we've, we've created this amazing, or when I say rehabs, I mean, I'm talking about um, 
Ibogaine providers and they're saying right. we've created our own um, aftercare facility. And, you know, what we do is we get up in the morning and we do two hours of holotropic breathing or an hour of holotropic breathing. Then we do an hour of meditation when we have group session and we check in with our feelings, et cetera, et cetera. Then we have lunch and then in the afternoon we have individual therapy followed by yoga and meditation. Isn't that fantastic? And I'm looking, no, fuck off. Where's the frisbee? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I why agree. why does why does why does recovery have to be a burden? Right, right, right. Why why is this this idea that to get into good recovery, you 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 have to be floating six inches above a mountain? Right. It's wrong. What you need to do is start connecting to that lost child inside. And the best meditation in the world, the best way to get you into the moment, to get you into the now, to to allow you to just feel yourself, is to learn how to play again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think... And I think that's a really, really important you know, thing that nobody is looking at at the moment. I think one of the more, more interesting <laughs> things that psychedelic-based recovery has shown me, uh, and just from what I've observed, um, being the position I'm in and, and writing about it and everything, is that it really offers, if done properly and in the way that you're kind of detailing it, is it offers people an opportunity to get excited and look forward to a different life, you know? Like uh, right now, I think the traditional modality, it's like, oh man, I don't want to go to rehab. Then you're kicking and screaming, you know, before you go in that door. Like what if it was a different situation entirely? What if it was like, okay, this is my life now, but you know, uh, I, I have this opportunity now to make something so much more exciting for myself and so much more fulfilling and, and rewarding. And I think the psychedelic, integrated model of treatment can hopefully change people's and and particularly uh, people in addictions perceptions Mm -hmm. and attitudes around what recovery and treatment looks like and i think it's important to like you said remember to have fun you know in in that in that model i yeah I, i think that's absolutely essential and i think you know the really really important thing is is that the psychedelic experience allows you to start to own your own narrative Mm-hmm. reason we're in addiction is because we don't own our own narrative. We're always eating out of somebody else's pot right. as to how we're living our life. Right. So if you can have a psychedelic experience and you can find out who you are and you can start owning your narratives, and this is the really, really exciting thing about doing an Ibogaine journey or an ayahuasca journey, <coughs> that's your journey. Mm. That belongs to you 100%. It can't be taken away. It can't be torn apart by somebody else it can't be you know whatever that experience you had in that psychedelic journey or in that psychedelic realm that is yours and yours alone which makes this form of recovery profoundly personal and profoundly intimate right yeah it's not Um, one size fits not one size fits all and it it never should have been and it isn't you know and I'm, i'm glad that psychedelic medicine and, and particularly plant medicine is is showing us that you know because the experience is never the same for everybody it's never the same yeah. for you and from time to time too it's so highly personalized and and unique and i think it's a testament to this next generation of personalized uh, medicine you know 
I, th- I think I think you've just reminded me of something, and I think this is really really important to say. And I think this is something you know. There's there's a very very sort of regretful or potentially dark side of the psychedelic industry that we look at, where actually we are treating ayahuasca and ibogaine and magic mushrooms as commodities. Mm-hmm. as hair shampoo or, or hair conditioner. I can just go in and I buy it and I use it and that's it. And I don't think right. that any of these profound, beautiful, ancient medicines should be disrespected in such a way. If you want to get out of addiction and use plant medicines, it, it, it's not the quick fix. It's not the magic bullet. You have to put intentionality, integrity, respect and reverence into that process. And you have to give yourself time post the experience to continue putting intentionality, integrity, respect and reverence into the process. Uh, And if you do that, you'll have, have a fantastic, fantastic, you know, opportunity to, to grow a fantastic opportunity to become a fully fledged student at Earth School, rather mm. than a victim, um, <laughs> and um, I think the commercialization of of ibogaine and and certainly within the ibogaine, you know, I only work with maybe seven or eight clinics now. It's not through choice. I would like to work with more, but I can't because most of them run a revolving door in-and-out cash cow facility. Mm. No pre-treatment, no post-treatment. Yeah, and, and uh, the, the plant itself doesn't look uh, too fondly on, on the repeat uh, customers or the repeat patients. You know, it, it becomes, it, it's not, I guess at one point I want to drive home to people as, as we close our talk here is it's not the Weissman method. It is not, you know, the going under anesthesia and taking a chemical to purge your body of opiates and you wake up fine. Like it is, it's not that simple. Uh, and for that reason, it has a much higher success rate than something like the Weissman method because there's a whole process that we've been discussing this whole episode uh, that takes place that you're conscious for. You know, it's it's something that's consciously happening to you. You're not just waiting for the drugs to leave you and, and thinking that the problem ends there. You know, it's a it's a whole new experience to learn so much more. See, does that- and, and exactly what you're saying is this wonderful thing about chasing the experience and chasing the process and making yourself available to, and you know, this is what I, I, I do believe that we should, if we do anything well, we should, we should be putting obstacles in people's way to getting psychedelics. Mm. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of, but you know, you've got to show up to session or you've got to talk right. about, you know, and, and, and engender a, a little bit of um, accountability. Accountability, yeah. Um, and again, it comes back to these four words, respect, reverence, intentionality, and integrity. But if mm-hmm. the client finds themselves putting that into the process of taking psychedelics and then into the process of integrating them and into the process of getting their new life, they're not actually putting respect reverence intentionality integrity into the in into the psychedelic experience they're being compassionate to self mm-hmm. and for people in addiction that's a fucking game changer 
Oh, I love that, man. It is a game changer. Absolutely. Uh, dude, I think we've had a, such an incredible discussion today. Uh, the technical errors will be able to, to be worked out. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I'll, uh, tell, I'll tell you what, what Guarov, if, if, if we could adjust without these breaks, I think it would have been just phenomenal. We could have well, a real... We'll, we'll record another one. For sure. When your computer's yeah, up and yeah, up sure. and running, we'll we'll schedule a another one for sure. But in the meantime so, in the meantime Do you want to say goodbye and I can say goodbye to you beautifully? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We'll do that. And Anders, I wanted to just give you a, a, an opportunity to tell people where they can find out about you and find out about your work. If you wanted to share that with our audience, that would be great. Okay. Um yeah, uh thank you for that, Guarov. Um yeah, I mean most of my clients come through me come through me through six, seven or eight IB game centers who, who, you know, I've got a very good working relationship mm -hmm. and who, you know, these particular centers I really, really trust uh, because they put the client first and foremost and, and they've created a protocol which includes a lot beyond just the ingestment, ingesting of IB game. Um, so a lot of my clients come through there. My own sort of personal clients and people who are wanting to get, you know, help with plant medicines or ibogaine for for addiction or client or, or, or stress or burnout, if they come to www.ibogaine-counseling.com. Now counseling is spelt the English way, which is double L. Okay. Um, and we also have another website called psychedelicsforaddiction.com. Okay. Oh, um, brilliant. And yeah, reach out to me there and I'll, I'll, I'll get back in touch with anybody. I'm very, very, very willing to, to offer advice to begin with. And that's normally comes free. You know, it, it's about perhaps sowing the seed is the most important thing to begin with. Absolutely. Well, Anders, it's been a serious pleasure, uh, not just this podcast, but from the first day that we uh, connected, you know, yeah. what a, what a journey. Always, yeah. <laughs> and I, I've, you know, the thing is, Guarov, you know, I, I kind of look at your journey, and I think this is really important for a lot of people to understand, is that actually Guarov has walked the walk and he's talked the talk. He's actually taken time out. He, he's gone out into nature and he's looked after himself and self-care has become the most important fundamental ritual of your life. Be. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't put self-care first, there's no point trying. Yeah, right. You've done it. You've done it. You're walking the walk. And, you know, I love the fact that you, you took yourself out into Mexico and got yourself back into nature in a massive massive way and learned to play again yeah um, yeah and if you look at your own journey where i've over the last i don't know how long and it's been pretty phenomenal i mean try doing that <laughs> try doing that through regular therapy and, and regular work. Work. I mean, you've just been miles and miles and miles behind where you are now yeah yeah man very true oh beautiful anders Please thank you so pudding. much
Thank My you so pleasure. much for having you, uh, for, for being a guest on our show. We really appreciate having you. I look forward to our next conversation. Uh, and yeah, thanks for a great discussion about addiction, Ibogaine, and psychedelic medicine, brother. We'll talk again soon. Okay, lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah, Bye-bye. Everybody, this is uh, Garo Dubey. This is the Sci-Fi Podcast, where we talk to leading clinicians, researchers, practitioners, and industry experts to unravel the mystery of psychedelic science. This is Anders Beattie, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thanks for joining the Sci-Fi Series, brought to you by Microdose and the Conscious Fund. Visit our website at www.microdose.buzz.com.